In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. It's going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the Incense Podcast. I'm Sam. And Blaine is here, just not recording the intro with me. And a quick note on him, actually. We put him inside a wind tunnel, inside a washing machine, wearing a Darth Vader helmet. And that is his audio quality for today. So if you're wondering why he sounds a little bit crazy at times or different or hard to understand, it's because he was remote and he had a handheld device that you know, didn't really hold up to the rotations of the dishwasher very well. All that being said, we had the pleasure of having a conversation with James Arnold Taylor, who for the three of you who don't know who that is, he is a voice actor whose IMDB page could toilet paper my house. He has done so many voices, so many roles all over the place, from my personal favorite of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Clone Wars series to Fred Flintstone. James Arnold Taylor has a ridiculous talent to take on the voice of basically anybody. And if I actually wanted him to just do me and Blaine and have Blaine and I take the day off, or he, he could do that. He has the ability to go on. I also wanted to have the entire podcast conversation with the voice of Obi-Wan, who he is in the Clone Wars animated series. So I, Blaine and I had to work through some of our uh, giddiness and excitement. And what really comes through in this conversation that I enjoyed so much about James Arnold Taylor is he's very real and his humility and gratitude for what he gets to do and what he gets to share are so obvious and so present that it was a delight to have a conversation with him to talk about creativity, to talk about our modern moment, to talk about success and pride and the self and all those sorts of things. So I think Anybody, whether you have watched something that James has been the voice of or not, you're going to love this conversation. Hope you enjoy. James, welcome to the Incense Podcast. We're really honored that you're here today. Well, I should start with hello there, as Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi would say. <laughs> you totally uh, did. <laughs> it's now my thing. Uh, but I am honored to be here. I'm really excited about this, and I have a lot of friends that are excited that I'm on this because I know they'll be uh, listening with anticipation here. So, yes, it's it's great fun. Now, I, I should have asked you this beforehand, but uh, do you go by James or do you go by James Arnold Taylor in, the, in much of the way that, like, James Bond is just You must call me James name. Arnold Taylor every time. Yes. Every time. So, yep, James Arnold Taylor, tell me, James Arnold. No. Uh, I, you know, because there's that other guy that's seen fire and seen rain and— uh, is here now, but going to Carolina in his mind, um, or Mexico, never really been. Yeah, but oh, sure that's usually go. what I'm playing. Uh, no, but uh, James Taylor, you know, has been kind of the bane of my existence uh, my whole life. And I, I love James Taylor's music, and he's a great guy, so that's that's great. But James Arnold Taylor is now my professional name. But you can call me James, you can call me Jat, you can call me Jamie, whatever you like. 
That is perfect. Well, uh, James Arnold Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) Would you take us to the the beginning of your story as an actor? And we thought we wanted to go as far back as you could remember. Oh, boy. What what are the major events that you would designate as uh, maybe starting your creative life or moments that thrust you into the creative industry, where would you take Uh us? Okay, well, okay, hold on, because great Scott, Marty, we're going to go way back uh, into my fourth year of life where I wanted to be a doctor, and my mom worked at a hospital, and so she got me the little doctor outfit and the fake little medical bag with all the stethoscope, plastic stethoscope and all that. And there was a motorcycle accident out in Friday, outside of our apartment complex, and nothing serious. Guy just kind of wiped out and was more dented pride than anything. And so I, like, grabbed my, my bag and my gear, and I put it on, I raced downstairs, and I pushed my way through the crowd. And, and I looked at the guy, and I said, I'd like to help you, but I'm an obstetrician. And the crowd laughed, and my mom said, you know, if you're going to be a doctor, you've got to help everybody anytime. And so I said, well, I made him laugh. I'll be a comedian. And this is all in my baby book. I'm told I said all of this. My brother and sister have confirmed it, but uh, because they're older than me. And at that point, I realized somewhere along the line in my fourth year that Mel Blanc was a man in a little closet like me now in a little padded room talking to himself on a microphone, creating voices. And I just clicked into it. And I said, that's what I want to do. And I started doing voices when I was four. Humphrey Bogart and James Cagney and just, you know, probably terrible impressions. The Count from Sesame Street and all that. And pursued it uh, all through my young life. I had a little Radio Shack recorder and I would record my voice. I'd do fake Twilight Zone episodes. I would have my friends go, let's record something. They'd always be like, no, James, no, this is stupid. I'd be like, come on, let's do the voices. And I've just loved it ever since. It's been in my genes. So when I was 16, I started as a stand-up comic. And I'd been writing an act since I was 12 because I knew I needed a solid three minutes. And I got up on stage at an open mic. And from there, it kind of went. And then I got into radio at 17. And I knew that was going to be my way because I wanted to do voice work. And I, I had to learn the technique of it all. So I got into radio and I literally started sweeping up at the radio station. And they let me sit in with the DJs and watch them do their shows. And I watched and watched. And that's how I learned was by watching other people and mimicking. And it's really kind of weird that my whole life has been, I'm a mimic. You know, I, a lot of my career is doubling. It's not voice impressions, but it's voice doubling uh, celebrities uh, from Johnny Depp. If I have to do Captain Jack Sparrow, love, and I'll do that. Um, well, wait a second. If I got to do Michael J. Fox's voice, then I'll do his voice. Great Scott, I'll do uh, Doc Brown as I did before, or Christopher Walken, you know. So if Chris Walken was on and Sons, you know, it'd be crazy. But I have to double them the way they would talk rather than an impression. And so a lot of my work has come from that, and it uh, it's just been a blessing. God just blessed me more than I could know that I had this ability to just do that. So I figured it out young and I've pursued it my whole life. And I just, I love what I do. Okay. That's, I love the story. I love the image of you with a stethoscope. <laughs> I love, I love the image of you, even with the broom watching, because there's something that I feel like is very true of comics and of creatives where you have to be like hyper aware of the world around you. If anything else, you're, you're probably more a student 
of those around you than the rest of us are because you have to be able to name the truth in a way that we haven't really put words to yet. Wow. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious how you began to marry, um, you say mimic, but it's, it's mimic laced with so much creativity and so much honesty and truth. How, yeah. how did you begin to try and weave those things together as you were like, I'm studying people yeah. and I'm mimicking them, but. You know, and there's a deeper story that I really, really hope we can touch on here uh, uh, that I'll hold kind of more toward the end, but there's, my whole life has been kind of an impression of somebody else, or I'm more comfortable being other people because I never really felt like I knew who I was. And uh, growing up, I grew up in a lot of New Age religion. I grew up in uh, a lot of, you know, psychics and crystals and things and friends and family that were into that. And and I was always somewhere along the line. Jesus came in, though, at a very young age, and I learned who Jesus was. And I talked to him at night, and I would pray to him at night. But I felt like I was never me. I always felt like I was more comfortable being other people. And I grew up in a very dysfunctional uh, environment. A lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of violence um, towards my mother from a stepfather and such and uh, towards me a bit. And so I think it was safer to be other people. So I tuned into, well, how does that person act? How do they talk? What are they doing? I'd rather be them. I'd rather do, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I never felt like I was real and I never felt like I was truly worth anything in that. And there's a reason for that. I found out when I was 42 years old, I found out who my real father was and that I never actually knew my real father. Um, and the crazy part is, is he ended up doing what I do for a living. He was a, a radio DJ and a TV host and he used his voice to make a living and he looked like me and sounded like me uh, as far as I know. And so it's, it's weird what God plants in us through DNA, but also through desire uh, when you open yourself up to him, even if you don't know you're opening up to him. And so kind of a long way around, but I didn't realize I was throwing my life down at his feet and saying, thy will be done from the beginning. And he just kept saying, okay, I'm going to show you. And I'm not going to take it apart until you're much older and show you who you really are. But there's a reason for it all. So it's a crazy life I've lived. Wow. I mean, that was a profound two minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> James, you truly are a master storyteller. There are so <sighs> many threads in that short <sighs> monologue I'd like to chase down. I don't want to breeze past the fact, though, that if you started writing at 12 and performed at 16, you average a little mm -hmm. bit less than a minute a year in terms of your creative <laughs> output, which is about <laughs> my rate. So that makes yeah, me feel really good. I've heard you say that, yes. But no. Okay. You find out that the man who has acted as your father was yeah. not your father when you were 42. Yeah. And rather inactive my whole life, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> How did you find that out? Wow. Uh, so, I was in therapy. I'd been in therapy for many years. I think therapy is a wonderful, beautiful thing, and it can really help because... Um, I had another rabbit trail. Uh, 16 years ago, I lost my voice to black toxic mold. We were about to adopt our daughter from China, and we bought this house thinking this will be the perfect house because that's what we all do. We build ourselves up. We think we've got it figured out, and we're going to do this. And my wife and I were like, yeah, this is great. After 13 years of marriage, we've decided, okay, we never could have kids on our own. Let's adopt. We felt the Holy Spirit move. Let's adopt from China. We felt it very, you know, clear. But we didn't feel it clear when we bought this house when everybody around us said, nah, I don't know. And it was a money pit. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And I lost my voice to black mold. And 
I prayed on February 13th, 2005, Lord, please don't let this be the worst day of my life. And six months later, when we got my daughter's paperwork, it turned out that that was the day she was born. Mm -hmm. And he totally wiped away any negative things because I was on a a several-year journey to regain my voice and my health. And uh, all of that got me into therapy, (laughs) you know, because I had this feeling of unreality, truly this feeling of unreality where I didn't feel real. And finally, it came up where um, I moved back home to Santa Barbara, which is where I was born and raised. My, My wife and I were both born and raised in Santa Barbara, California. And the therapist there, great Christian therapist, she said, I've had work help with bringing adult kids and their parents together. Would you like me to reach out to your father? Because we hadn't spoken in many years. I said, yes, please. She did. And he was like, okay, I'll come in and talk. And then there was something weird. And I always kind of think about like, you know, when it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? Or there's a lot of times in the Bible where God will harden somebody's heart or he'll to get them to say something that creates a reaction that is actually so much better, but at the time it's terrible. And somewhere in the conversation, the therapist said that he turned and all of a sudden it was like he was fighting to get this out that for 42 years he'd been holding on to. And he just, he said, no, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to come in. And I don't even think he's my son. And there was this silence and it was like, he got it out. He finally said it after 42 years. And so she told me, because I wasn't in this conversation, and then I called my brother and sister, and they're like, oh, that's ridiculous. And, and then I called my mom, and she got very quiet. And I said, is there something you want to tell me? And she said, no. And she refused to admit it for a year. And I assumed, because I always did whatever my mom said, that I was wrong, and he was wrong. And then one day I got this very vivid dream. And I never get dreams, guys. I'm not that guy. I'm not like, I don't hear from God that way. And he said, get the DNA test you talked about. So I did. I went up, I called my dad, the man I thought was my father, and said, you know, look, would you do this DNA test with me? And he said, sure. I drove up to his house. We sat and talked for two hours. And he told me stories of my life and my brother and sisters and his life and his marriage that I had only heard from my mom's side for all of my life. And it was weird. Every one of his stories made so much more sense than what I grew up hearing. And uh, so we did the DNA test. And a few weeks later, on my daughter's adoption day, I got the results. So it was uh, a crazy ride. That was longer than two minutes that time, but I tried. (laughs) Uh, It seems like there's some pretty profound movements happening on days connecting to your daughter. So like the day she's born is the day that you begin this journey, the day that yep. uh, you, you finally adopt her is the day you get these results. Um, yep. That doesn't seem like a coincidence to me or if that's no. very odd if it is. Yeah. Even stranger, my daughter, when, so I, she was five when I was 42 and I found out about this. And out of the blue that night, we always would go and get on our knees and at her bedside and say our prayers together. And out of the blue, she goes, what does your daddy do? And I said, well, honey, I, I, don't, I don't know. I never knew my dad because I didn't know all the information at this time. I just knew the man I thought was my father wasn't my father. And she said, that's so sad, daddy. I'm going to pray for you. And she, <laughs> she put her hands on me and prayed for me. And I was just weeping. But God has been so profound in, in his movement in my life and, and in my daughter's life and in my wife's life. Uh, there's just no denying that he that he loves us, that he loves all of us, and I love it. 
Mm. Okay, so one one more question to just tease this out. Um, I I know that everybody relates to something you said earlier, where um, feel like we didn't fit, and we watched others, and we tried to like mimic or find what worked. The scale is different. The scenario yeah. at home may be different. Um, and I'd say the average person sort of finds a personality that they can hide behind, whereas <laughs> you discovered that all of them actually worked, <laughs> which is amazing. But there's a piece to it as well that isn't just uh, hiding in survival, right? When you find out about your father and you have this legacy, I, I wonder if something shifted for you as you interpreted your own creativity and the and the way that you have this skill set. Um, so is that is that much. the case? That is such the case. I was able to breathe. Mm. After 42 years of looking in the mirror going, why don't I look like my brother and sister? Why don't I act like my dad? Why doesn't my dad like me? I mean, why won't he talk to me? Um, and why am I a weirdo? Why do I do these voices? Why do I, I mean, I love it, but why is it? It made sense. And I, I you know, got to tell my mom that. I was like, please understand, I'm, I'm real now. And that was the amazing part is I had prayed years prior, Lord, I don't feel real. Um, and he said, I'm going to remove that from you. And he did. And so now the, the cool thing about it is, is now when I do the voices, now when I step into the role of somebody else, if it's, you know, if it's Hiccup in How to Train Your Dragon, okay, Toothless, let's go. You know, Jay Baruchel, where I double for him when he's not available or any of the other voices. I get to go into them more now because I know who I am. So I always tell young people, I talk about it on my podcast and stuff too, know what you believe, why you believe it, know more than you want to know and know who you are. Like your own voice because everybody's always asking me, how do you get into voiceover? What do you do? What, you know, like your own voice, like who you are, know who you are and how, how, how to find that person because um, it's going to help you relate so much more. So it's been a total blessing in my life. That is huge. Huge. You use the phrase, like who you are. Obviously, this moment when you're 42 seems like a major inflection point. <laughs> but could you tell us more how you came to like who you are? Because you seem very at ease in your own skin. How did that uh, happen? The grace of God, the grace of God my friends, <laughs> let me tell you a story. Um, it really is the grace of God. It is years and years of... Things happening in life, you know, from all the things that we've been talking about to just daily getting on my knees. I try to fall on my knees every day and go, okay. Uh, and every every year it seems like it gets easier. But, you know, Fathered by God is a, such a, a powerful book to me, in fact. And it's, I'm, I'm, I swear it's just a coincidence. It's sitting right here because I have a, a men's group that where we're going through the book right now. But, you know, the different stages of a man's life, I guess I'm at that, I feel like I'm at that lover stage where I just go out and love looking at trees and things. But I also just love going, okay, let's challenge myself today. I, we, we, you know, one of the construction guys was in the house and I heard him kind of complaining about God and stuff and be angry. And I just thought in the past, I might get upset about that, that that's in my house and I got to pray that out and all that. And instead I just prayed, I just prayed. I went, okay, God, love on that man. And let me love on that man today. Cause he's just, he's mad at you. He doesn't understand. And that just comes from years of going, okay, I submit, I submit, I submit. I, I'm going to be willing to be wrong. I tell my daughter that. She's 16 now, and her whole life I've said, look, I'm willing to be wrong, and I will be wrong, 
and I will admit it. And same with my wife. We've been married 30 years. It's like I'm willing to be wrong and I'm willing to just hold hands and pray when I don't want to get upset. So I don't know, man. I'm just trying. It's not like I'm perfect at all, but I'm really just trying to just lay it down at his feet. I was kind of hoping you'd actually have the keys to perfection so we could finally, I don't <laughs> yeah, know, then unlock be, be that done. safe. It'd be, be super convenient. <laughs> Uh, you've alluded a couple times now to um, there was the home with the toxic black mold, um, yep. the construction workers. We know that you're you've been in a season of transition. You, you've moved yeah. Yeah. from Hollywood, California, like the yeah. the seat of I think where all of those behind the question that new <laughs> voice actors are asking of how do yeah. you do this is how do I get that success? How do I how do I arrive and yeah. It seems like moving to Tennessee is away from that to me. <laughs> yeah, it would seem it, but at the same time, everybody is so remote now and everybody is used to the technology. So if you can master even just getting a solid sound in a, a small space, I'm in a, I'm literally in a walk-in closet right now while we're building my new studio, which is going to be much bigger, but uh, it's you know, it's professionally soundproofed and such, but it doesn't even need to be. Blankets hung up with clothes in the closet make a great sounding booth. Uh, a good quality microphone and, uh, and a desire to enjoy what you do, is really, that's the most important thing. Uh, you can pretty much do it from anywhere now, you know. Uh, everything is remote right now. The, only, the interesting thing is, is during the whole lockdown earlier in 2020, the only part of the Screen Actors Guild and, and all that was moving and moving forward was voiceover. We mm. all still worked. Um, mm. So, yeah, but it's also, for me, it's been a journey of getting out of there, getting away from it all. Uh, I talk about it a lot. Uh, I'm pretty open about that with my podcast and my, my faith and my fans, that Hollywood is a, a hard place to live, especially to be a Christian in. And uh, I, I had a big threat. You know, I had the cancel culture come after me earlier this year, and that was a bummer. It was a real bummer, but, you know. That feels like an understatement if you're going <laughs> to throw one out there. Um, do, yeah. you, do you want to touch more on, on bummer? Because, I mean. <laughs> yeah, it was two months of vertigo that I could not control uh, from the stress of it. And it was um, while in the middle of a move across country and, you know, having a 16-year-old daughter that, you know, is leaving her friends and family and life and my wife and uh, business partner. Uh, as well, just trying to maneuver and pack boxes where I couldn't lean over and bend down and such because the stress of it, I woke up one morning after all of it had hit and the world was spinning quite literally. And I had vertigo for two months and the doctors couldn't figure out how to stop it. So um, once we got here, we got a doctor that helped me, but I'd never experienced anything like it. And it was, you know, as a, as a, um, somebody that takes on people's emotions. I also take on people's emotions. <laughs> so I bear the weight of the world on me. So when, some, when three people, you know, go online and say, James Arnold Taylor sucks, uh, that means something to me, I guess. And I, it, it hurt. So yeah, as an empath, I, I took it harder than I should have, I guess. I'm, I'm guessing it was more than three people. To, <laughs> it was. To, to really. Yeah. They wanted me fired. They wanted me fired immediately from all of my jobs. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, from all the video game work I was doing on this, we had, there's a game called Ratchet and Clank, and I'm Ratchet, and we're making a new game. And so they were going after me there, and Star Wars, and, you know, Zobie Wong Kenobi and all that. And so it's, it's never fun to have people so personally attack you, but, uh, and, and for my faith, 
and, and belief system. So yeah, that was hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've done the the psychological studies on that, what, 10 affirmations, 10 kind words to offset one negative. Mm-hmm. And just that that ratio of how even as grounded as you can be, that kind of assault. I mean, if it's one person, if it's 10 people, if it's a thousand people, um, yeah. I, I, hearing the story of literal vertigo for two yeah. months because of yeah. that hatred, because of that attack, um, that's profound. That, that, that's, that's a very helpful, um, almost anecdote. And I'm sorry that you have to be an anecdote in that sense. <laughs> that's of like, all right. Yeah, the, the blessing of it is how God took it uh, away. And he, mm. and he very clearly said to me, I was having tests done. They were still trying to figure it out. And he said in the middle of one of the tests, which was awful because they have to induce the vertigo. And so for three, four minutes, the room was spinning with cameras on and on my eyes to track them. I, I felt like he said, you're done. It's okay. I've taken it. And after that, I was fine. And I've been fine ever since. So... Wow. Accept the miracles when he gives them to you. That's the other thing. Sometimes we don't, we go, well, we can, we can explain things away. It must have, they must have knocked the crystal back into place or whatever. But when you feel like you hear God say this, that, or the other, just trust it and go with it. Hmm. So doing more math here, I think that, Sam, if your thing is 10. It's 10 to 1. 10 to 1. You heard it, Anson's listeners. James Arnold Taylor needs somewhere between 10,000 and 100,000 compliments this month. So <laughs> <laughs> get to it, everybody. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, God bless you guys. Another just prospecting question. Yeah. If you had to pick, you know, one of the top three pieces of creative work that you were most proud of, what's on that list? Um, Gosh, well, I have a... I have a one-man stage show that I do that um, I started doing as USO tours and for Disney World for an event called Star Wars Weekends. And it was a, a month-long event that was really a hard life. They, they would send me for five years. They'd send me to Disney World with my wife and my daughter. And for six weeks, I had to live at Animal Kingdom Lodge. And I did shows there. And it was all Star Wars shows. And I would get to interview everybody from Mark Hamill to Frank Oz to, you know... Um, all the various people in the world of Star Wars and hang out with them and then do my one-man stage show that was called, it's called Talking to Myself and I do about 200 voices in it and it's all, you can find it on YouTube and stuff, but it's, it's my life as a voice actor and I got to do that every day you know, for an audience of 1,500 to 2,000 people and feel that love and give a testimony really as well uh, in a subtle way. That was that was one of my highlights, hosting Star Wars Celebration, which is the world's biggest Star Wars convention, and perform that sh- same show in front of a sold-out house of 5,500 people. And, you know, those things are, for me, those are neat. Uh, not, they're just, they were really neat summations of my career. And then just getting to be a part of things like Star Wars, you know, being in all the last five movies and, and providing voices in them, and then being a part of Clone Wars, which was such a, an amazing show because it was unlike anything at the time. Nothing had ever been done like that. And we were the first group of actors to be involved in Star Wars that really got to embrace the fans and interact with fans because social media just broke. And so, and then it's amazing how many of the cast are uh, fellow believers and just we're all family now. So those those moments, I would say, culminate into some of the greatest parts of my thing. And then third would just be being characters like Fred Flintstone 
that I grew up watching getting to do that voice. And when you're five foot four and 115 pounds soaking wet and you get to be, yeah, but damn do Fred Flintstone. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool because it says it, you can be anything in life, you know. Don't let the, don't let anybody tell you you can't, I guess, is the thing. Okay, I, I want to tease out a little bit more connecting this to something you said earlier about your studio and equipment, but also you're talking about like what makes you successful. So I want to go to something you said is loving what you're doing. Yeah. I, I have felt this as a young man, putting the cart before the horse and really chasing after the X amount of copies of something getting out there or X amount of followers. And it, it feels like putting the success before the thing itself. Yeah. Um, I'm curious for you, as you think about those projects, I'm seeing a similar thread connecting them, but how, how do you, have you maintained a love for what you do when success and livelihood enter the conversation? It's hard. It's, I'll just be honest. It's hard because when you get to do what you've wanted to do since you were, you know, literally four years old and it all kind of goes the way that you hoped and planned it would be. And you have a, a loving partner. My wife is the most amazing person on the planet and she brought me to Christ and, and all that too. It's hard because you wake up every day and go, so everything's okay. It's all all right. Oh, and I get to do what I love. Okay, because that's not our nature. Our nature is to go, no, we got to create problems. I got to make things wrong. I got to complain. That's when I feel comfortable. Uh, and so I don't, I don't get to do that when I get to do what I love. So I've learned to just kind of go and enjoy it and ride the wave and be thankful. Every time I get on this microphone, I say a prayer of thanks. And I just say, thy will be done, thy will be done. Um, but I also then have to, let go of the ego. I mean, you really, you know, I've always loved the Wild at Heart Ministries talking about the poser because that's been my whole threat. The whole threat of my life would be to be a poser because this is, that's, yeah, I'm in Hollywood, you know, it's no big thing, man. I, you know, I make movies and stuff. You know, it's like, it, that's all such a thing that is constantly in our face. And for voice actors, it's weird because we have this strange dichotomy of everybody knows your voice or your characters or all that, but nobody knows who you are. And so when it really rages inside of you, that ego to go, hey, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that does the things, you know, you know. So you really have to just give it up. And without my faith in God, I would be, I'd be such a poser, dudes. Because <laughs> I already am. I still am, you know. Um, it's hard to not do the voices and stuff and kind of show off a little. But I just try to enjoy it. It's like people always go, what's your favorite character? And I give them this answer, and people don't like it, but I say, whichever one I'm doing at the time, because mm -hmm. I'm blessed to do what I do. So I just try to live in that moment. Okay, see, this is, this is great. I was, you're tying into a different question I was going to have. Like, when you go to the grocery store, when you're Mark yeah. Hamill, you just, you just don't get to go anymore, because <laughs> it, you're going to have a hard time getting through in an hour. Yep. And when you're James Arnold Taylor, you can go to the grocery store. Yeah unless you do a voice in the checkout line. <laughs> and I, I'm wondering, like, I, that an inner war of ego and self and gratitude, I, that feels very honest. And you, you've already answered my question, but I was, I'm curious what the, like, that, I don't know. Is it, has it always been easy? Has, it, has there been no. stages of, of really wishing that there was more, more moments like Star Wars Celebration where you've got, the, you've got the name tag and people are looking and they know your face? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You do go through those moments. And then 
you realize, you know, after a week of that, and everybody wanting and needing something from you, you go, oh, this is exhausting. It really is emotionally exhausting. Almost as exhausting as a four-hour cartoon session where people go, ah, voiceover is easy. You just go in a room and you do funny voices. Like, stand in a little four-by-six booth for four hours and scream at the top of your lungs. It ain't easy, man. You're exhausted. Like, I always tell people, you know when you've been in the hardest fight of your life with your spouse or your loved one or your friend and you, you're yelling and you're putting all that emotion out and you're just, I can't believe it. That's what we have to do. We have to go in there no matter what our mood is and just get into that zone and scream at the top of our lungs as a character. Um, it's hard. It's exhausting. So I realized being out there is just as exhausting. And so I go, okay. I try to use that as the counterbalance. So you get to walk to the park with your daughter and nobody's nobody's saying anything. It's pretty great, James. Be happy. That's good. All right. You teased your relationship with your wife a little bit. Yeah. Let's track over to a little bit of your love story. Oh, please. Where yes. did you two meet? So, again, it gets even more cheesy apple pie, uh, uh, all-American here. We met in high school in marching band, and I was her squad instructor, and she was, I was uh, two years ahead of her, and so uh, when she was a freshman, and she had a little crush on me, because I was, of course, this was the 80s, guys. I was in my red Huey Lewis suit, and uh, with the Converse high tops and <laughs> playing my saxophone. And my wife played the flute. And, uh, and then our best friends were dating years later. And that's when we officially met and realized, you know, and I was, I was already a DJ at that point. And everybody, because I was a DJ in Santa Barbara in a small town at the local rock station, which was a big station, K-Tide. And um, so everybody knew me, but everybody also kind of wanted things. Like, I was always the nerd in school, but then, I because I dropped out of school at, after 10th grade and became a performer. And then all of a sudden, all the cheerleaders were like, James, hey, you know, you're getting tickets to that concert. Uh, okay, that'd be fun. You know, so my wife uh, was completely uninterested in all of it. Uh, Allison, she, I went to a party. She was there. I was like, yeah, I just met Sting. You know, again, the poser was on. And I, oh, I met Sting, hung out with Sting all night. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And she was like, so? <laughs> and I just, I'm like, mm, 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 I love her. <laughs> and we went on our first date. It was 33 years ago, April 4th. So that just, we just had our, our uh, celebration of that. And we never broke up. We were always brutally honest with each other. We've been together. We are honestly just best friends and soulmates and all the cliched things and she was 16 i was 18 we got married when she was 19 we've been married it'll be 30 years in june and uh we she's my my manager and uh, my business partner and she homeschools our daughter and has from kindergarten on up and uh she's an amazing awesome person and she loves your mom's books by the way <laughs> cheap plug shameless plug <laughs> She sounds amazing. Uh, I love that the thread that you were going to need began at the beginning, right? That yeah. not being impressed with the fame or the yeah. the poser. Man, like, is that true? And that how much more that was going to increase? But just like here's the foundation. Like, yeah, as I love it. Oh, it's so critical because if I had had somebody that was an extrovert like me, she's a total introvert, and interested in in showbiz in any way, shape, or form, I don't know who I'd be right now. I really do. I, I don't think I'd be on this podcast and I don't think I'd be, you know, 
mellow lover guy. I'd be, you know, a different person. I'd be, or I wouldn't be here. Uh, because she's just the balance. Having that balance, that counterbalance is so important. Okay, we've touched on we've touched on wife. Can we touch on daughter? Um, yeah. Uh, I listened to your conversation with Lydia on the Jackcast, oh. and oh. just her personality that came through was so enjoyable. Oh. I I'm curious, um, and I'll, I'll I'll give a little bit of myself here, but yeah. then ask the question. I want to, as a parent, cultivate an environment where my kids want to take risks want yeah. to be the kinds of kids who are fully themselves and can dream big and chase after things and yeah. have cultivated what makes them them. And that yeah. all of those things sound way easier than it's been so far. I have a four-year-old, <laughs> but it's already so difficult. I'm curious what that has been like for you as you've walked and she's had, I mean, your kids have like front row seats on who you are and what you yep. do. And so yeah. there's no hiding there. No, totally raw in front of them. And and you need to be. That is also another big thing. We've always been totally raw in front of, of Lydia as far as that goes. And and she, we've been brutally honest with her from the beginning. And we were never afraid to say no to her. Uh, and we have lots of long conversations. My poor wife is an introvert with two extroverts. My daughter, as extroverted as I am, she is double that. And she is just such a force of nature. We adopted her. She was found in a marketplace at 10 days old in China in the Hunan province. And we adopted her when she was eight months old. And uh, she is amazing. She's so uh, extroverted and ready. She's ready to move out now. She's 16. She's at her first job right now. She's working. She works in in retail and she's out at her job. I just dropped her off before this. And she's talking to me about, well, you know, when I get my own apartment, and I'm like, okay, because we got a nice house. She's like, no, no, I'm not interested. And I'm like, and I, and I test those boundaries sometimes because I'm glad mm. that she's wanting to go out on her own and take those risks. But I think it's because we've just been really brutally honest with her and talked to her about how life is and, and what the exciting things it can be, but also the, the bad parts and honesty, honesty, honesty. Honesty is your answer. Honesty for creating like creativity. And I have to be more honest, James. Yeah, honestly, you do. I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it's funny because, boy, I can't tell you how many friends we've lost from it uh, through the years, you know, being honest. And you always say to people, I'm going to be brutally honest. Oh, me too. We're totally like that. And then you go, you know, when that happened, I kind of wasn't okay with that. I mean, I'm willing to take my part and this is my part, but I wasn't okay with that. And then people put the walls up. So I've had to learn that, okay, well, you know, that's the way it goes. But with my daughter, it's like, we never, you know, it's all the same things as with a marriage. Don't go to bed angry. Don't, you know, pray and just give it to God and give it up and give up the ego. Because we'll call her out on her ego all the time. Because she's, she, you know, and she has every excuse to want to be. She's been in a movie. So she was, we did a movie called uh, Animal Crackers. It's on Netflix. My daughter was the star of it with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. They played her parents. I played her great uncle who owned the circus. And my brother was Ian McKellen. And this is great really family-friendly animated film on Netflix. It's a lot of fun. Shameless plug. And my daughter had been working on that since she was seven, and then they recorded it officially when it, she was 10, and now she's 16, and it finally came out. 
And um, and then she's been on TV shows and she's been surrounded by, you know, Mark Hamill's Uncle Mark and Frank Oz. And, uh, you know, uh, she's met George Lucas. She's been in George Lucas's office and down into the archives at Star Wars. And, so at, uh, like a super normal childhood, essentially. It's very, very normal childhood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she has had, I mean, so many things that she's been exposed to like that. So we we had to be brutally honest and keep her ego in check. Whoa, back it up, sister. Come on. Mm. No, 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 no. And so that's that's been the way it's been. And and it's really been helpful for her. And she thanks us for it daily. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, it seems like that was successful, James, because she said one of the more honest things. I, I wrote it down in, oh. in your conversation um, yeah. on your podcast. Uh-huh. And this was about culture and about yeah. this moment in time and about social media, yeah. some directions I want to chase if we end up having the, the time. But yeah. she said, when you scream, it doesn't mean you're heard. It means you're adding to the noise. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I am learning lessons from a 16-year-old right now. Like that is profound and I honest. Know. And <laughs> I don't know where these things come up from with her too. And that was just totally on her own. And that is... That's her. That's, I think that's her kind of growing up in that. And given the opportunity, like she's not interested in acting. She's not interested in any of that. She loves style and design and fashion. And I think it's from being in that bubble, but also being really in an honest bubble of it too, of seeing it and seeing how it can tear you apart if need be. And if she was, had the ability to go down the path of being like a child star or something too. And she was like, nah, I don't, I don't want that. Hmm. I don't know. It's God in her. I take no credit. I, I give all credit to my wife and to God. Mm. <laughs> I'm taking notes here, James. <laughs> it is. It's so good. I know that many of our friends who are listening are very creative young men ranging from yeah. 16 to, you know, 80. But I love that. I would love to know. Sometimes it's easier to give a list of things to avoid. And you've mentioned ego. But if you were to dig in and go, words of caution for creative people, mm. what are some be carefuls or watch out for's that you would give to the creative young man? Well, everything right now is you're the best. You're the most important. It's all about you and your dreams and your goals. And, you know, that's what society is filling us all about with. And it, and it's hard because we've talked even here about, you know, being yourself and being honest and liking yourself. What a fine line it is, though, between liking yourself and then accepting and and taking in all of the BS about yourself that you you and other people tell yourself, you know. There's a real fine line there. Uh, you have to like the God-given things that you've been given and acknowledge them and, and acknowledge your weaknesses and know that they're there to help make you stronger. If I didn't lose my voice, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now. It made me stronger. But I also had to be honest and go, okay, I, I can't do it. I, I, I can't do this on my own. So fighting the ego is just, I think, kind of a second by second thing. It really is because how often, especially any young people that are on social media of any kind, even if you just have like a Instagram account and you're just trying to look, I mean, that whole thing and the studies they've done on that, right, alone of just how once we look at that, we're in competition. So I think what it builds is it builds to when you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you're in competition with yourself even. How do I look? How do I feel? Am I 
am I that guy that I'm looking at? So be willing to put it aside and just go, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, man. Whatever comes out. As a voice actor, I've learned that you can have no inhibitions. So I, I cannot worry like my on-camera friends that when they come in to do a session for a cartoon, it's so great. They've got all the, you know, hey, how are you? Yes, don't I look great? And all of that is lost because if I can't hear it from the microphone, it doesn't exist in your acting. I have to hear it. So you have to learn to have no inhibitions and get out the facial expressions, the ex- everything, the movements, and look stupid and weird and gross to get a noise out or to get your acting out or to convey an emotion. So that's helped me. Being a voice actor has helped me because it says, hey, man, nobody cares. Nobody cares, James. Just do it. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's more, I guess, of the brutal honesty, huh? Yeah. So yeah. two things here, and uh, I'll let you pick your own adventure, if you will. Um, I know that you are anti-social media, but you're yeah. also pro-creativity and and movies. And so yeah. there's, there's a pro of a media of a certain kind. Yeah. And here's option A. You can chase after, what's the difference for you? Like, wh- why is one worth being your life's work and the other something we need to avoid at all costs and, and not be on? Okay. Your other choice here is, uh-huh. as you're naming in these studios, I'm I'm curious. You're a student of voices. Have you become like a like a therapist of sorts? Where you're like in your average life, you're like, well, you know, I'm not really picking up a lot of enthusiasm as this person's talking about this right now. <laughs> so there's your option A, option B. Oh man, oh they're both so good. I'm gonna try to combine them. I'm gonna try to be the segue king. Okay. You know, social media, I, I embraced it at the beginning. I wrote a book uh, based off of my social media. I did, it's called Jad 365, where I did 365 daily inspirations for the pursuit of your dreams because I challenged myself to be positive in a place that is so negative for a year. And then I took all of them and turned them into a book. And I've that's been kind of my, my brand, which is, you know, I have all these words, but of Mr. Positive, you know, wholesome, positive guy in a world of, social media stuff. When I got the whole cancel thing, I've backed off a lot. But now I just put out little things here and there. And I have found that you need it. You need it for work, sadly. Um, But I also love that I can have a podcast where I can be brutally honest about my faith and my life and who I am and let those folks come in and join that party. And then anybody that isn't interested, they don't have to. So I found a nice balance with it, you know, so where I have the podcast, I have my little videos I put on YouTube and stuff. And and I then I try to just do them and walk away and enjoy and, and pray that they bless somebody and then find out. But the other part of it, it's so, it's so hard because even somebody that walks with God every day and tries to just do the right thing, one second on there and you see something you don't like, Boy, it's like in uh, The Great Divorce, right? The little lizard on the shoulder whispering in the ear. I just feel like that's what I picture social media to be, that just slimy little lizard going, it's all okay. It's fine. It's going to be great, James. You're great. You're so good. You know? You're so great. Just, you know. And I I just go, no, I'm not. Shut up. I'm not. So uh, I'm going to put you away. <laughs> so there's really, that's yeah. all you can do is put it away. And then um, 
Oh, now I'm wishing we could rename our apps so I could just rename Instagram Slimy Little Lizard. Like Slimy Little Lizard. That would be that would be super helpful <laughs> if we could do that. <laughs> but yeah, so man, it's just a it's just that being able to push it aside and get off of it. I, I, you know, uh, it's crazy, but it's it's crazy. You know, whoa, it's crazy. I have to go into a voice when I don't know what to say. <laughs> All right, that was that was part one. Hit us with part two. Being a therapist is you tune into people's voices. You know, I do notice, and I'm big into that, Enneagrams and stuff. I don't know if you all know those books, but, you know, about, you know, your numbers and and stuff. And it's kind of like the Myers-Briggs test, you know, of like personalities, because I'm fascinated by it because it helps me uh, disseminate the type of character I'm dealing with or the person that I am dealing with uh, in my life. And so I do find by voices, the way people talk, bigger voices, more lung capacity, is somebody's more just big, you know, more confident in themselves. Uh, I like taking on things. And I find it's a dangerous thing when you live in a place where people speak with Southern accents now because I take on whatever I'm around now. And so I'm not just a therapist in that I'm also also a client because I do, I take it all on. But you do find that you can read people from what they put out vocally and what they put out and their words and ways of speaking. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so uh, confession. This happens to us every time we travel internationally. Back when that was yeah. a thing, we'd be yeah. like <laughs> going around the UK and all of a sudden we'd like slip into UK accents because that's right. all you're hearing all the time. <laughs> Does it ever happen to you? Like, but times 100 where, you know. Yeah, the problem <laughs> is, it's like for me and like British voices, a lot of my, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, of course, is just a British voice. And then, there's Jedi Master Plo Koon, which is basically just Gandalf. And so they take that and turn it into this masked character that does this voice. And and then there's like John Hurt. So there's wonderful British voices. Or you could do, you know, more of a Cockney thing. So I will take a mishmash of whatever I'm around. And if I watch a movie, it's very dangerous. My poor wife, it's like after we watch a movie, whatever was the strongest <laughs> personality... I find that I'm that, I'll be speaking in that voice, you know, throughout the rest of the night and uh, take on their their mannerisms and stuff too. And it's, as a kid, it was, yeah, it was like one of those things I did to hide. And now as as an adult, I do it just because I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. I love everybody's voices. I love hearing. And I, I'm fascinated by what the vocal cords can do and the, the power of our lungs and the capacity of the body to be able to do that. And isn't it weird, like a fingerprint that God gave us that, Everybody has a unique voice, yet we can imitate voices. It's, I don't know. There's there's a whole other rabbit trail in that, I suppose. No, there absolutely is. And I, as much as I want to chase it, I want, we got nine, ten more minutes of your time here. Yeah. Um, we grew up with our father reading us books occasionally in, in the evenings, and he would do voices because of his acting background. Yeah. Um, and as I've got kids now, we're, we're doing more and more of that. Um for the young dads who are listening, mm-hmm. what what are a few mm, 101s that you would hand to? How can I improve my bedtime story reading and doing some more characters in that space? Be a nerd. Let go. Just let it go. Don't, you know, you, your kids need that brutal honesty of you too being exposed like that in that raw sense of I am just living out my childhood with these words and characters and voices too. Enjoy it. 
just enjoy it and let those voices come. And don't be afraid of the voice cracking or being, you know, hi, I'm going to do like, you know, a higher voice and I'm going to do a low voice and I'm going to do a bad, I'm going to do a bad, you know, Dick Van Dyke, bad Cockney accent, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just have fun with it. The funniest thing for my daughter is, so she has these little stuffed animals she's had since she was a baby. And one of them is a little pig and his name is Pig Pig. And then the other is a giraffe and his name is Geo. And I would sing little songs to her every night and as these characters, and they'd have a little conversation first. And she and my wife noticed that when I would do those, I never did a voice. They're just my voice. Mm. They're just me, both of them. And they both have the same, just me. And it was weird. It was like, I'm opposite guy because once I had the opportunity to do this in my own personal life, I guess I have to do voices all the time. I was like, I'm just going to make them just me. So my daughter always goes like, I got like the guy that can do 200 voices and my, all my stuffed animals have the same voice and it's just his. <laughs> it's so lame. That, <laughs> but, that is perfect. That makes me yeah. so happy. I don't know why. Because it's just like, again, the human fingerprint on it. Right. Uh, yeah, I just couldn't, I didn't think to give them voices. I just did them as me. But when we would read like Chronicles of Narnia and stuff, I would, I would challenge myself to do, uh, you know, every character with different voice and, so many different British accents. You're just like oh, falling through. Uh, where, where to next? So you just have to have fun with it. I really think have fun with it and let go because I think that wall comes up, right? We have to be dad. We have to be dad. We have to kind of, you know, show this. And not at that point. Not when you're playing. Not when you're having adventures and, you know, sword fights and, and what have you, you know. My daughter used to dress up. She got all the, she's a Sokotano all the time, you know, as uh, from Clone Wars and I'd be Obi-Wan Kenobi. And we had like the real outfits and, you know, stuff and lightsabers that really light up and make noise and you just play, let it go and have fun. That's so good. That's really, really good. I know that most artists and creatives currently have an Everest or a frontier that they are pushing into. <laughs> I would love to hear, what is your Everest currently, or the frontier that you're pushing into? Not quite sure wow. if you can do it. Well, I got on your podcast, so there you go. That's oh, Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Welcome to yeah. the pinnacle. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Um, I, I love painting, actually. And uh, the studio that they're building in the other room right now, one of the rooms is my audio facility. And it's this big, like, 500-square-foot space, and there's two levels to it. And one is the audio facility, and then the upper area, which is much larger, is actually going to be my, my art studio, my painting studio. And I really uh, – and I paint scripture. I paint kind of abstract, and I hide scripture underneath and throughout the abstract art there. And – and I love it because I find it very relaxing and I would love to be able to do a show and uh, have paintings out there and, uh, you know, be an artist uh, to, to a new chapter. I, and I also, I wrote a, a film about an artist that's shot as a documentary a few years back and uh, we were going to produce it on our own and maybe someday I will. Um, but those are probably it. But outside of that, with all honesty, to let go and stop thinking and worrying so much about what the world thinks and about my career or my voice or my talents or my abilities and just live, sit on the porch and enjoy and not worry about it. 
That's that's my biggest one. Yeah. Mm. Woof. Woof is woof is right. <laughs> woof is sort of our like mic drop. Like that's almost too much. Uh, that's good. Oh my goodness. Yeah. James, one final question for you. I like to ask as a young man, if you could go back and have a conversation with James in his young to mid twenties, uh, what would be a few thoughts that you would want to to share with yourself? And so while uh, I'm getting all choked up at that thought, um, we do a lot of that in, in, in some of the therapy I do too, where, cause I had some stressful things happen when I was very young and stuff too. And they, they put you back there to kind of hold that young person of you and tell you it's okay. And kind of picture Jesus in there too. And I just got that vision, but I would just say, oh, um, you're real. You're you, you're real. And, and, um, and you matter. Uh, yeah, I would, I would just tell him he matters and you don't have to try so hard. Yeah. It's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, that one gets me. <laughs> oh, it does. I know. But it, it's also, it's a blessing for us and for our listeners to get to hear it because we, we are also that young man who needs to hear those words. So yeah. thank yeah, you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for spending some time with us today. I'll just say, honestly, yeah, uh, the Wild at Heart Ministries for the last 20 years have impacted my life beyond anything um, I, out, outside of it. And I'm, I'm saying that with, with sheer honesty. I've had two men's groups throughout the last 20 years that are still they're separate ones, but together, that have all been started because of uh, the book Wild at Heart. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it, it has made me a better a better person, a better man, all of your dad's writings. So uh, this ministry that you all are carrying on and doing now too is so important. Please, everybody listening, just be so, uh, absorb it all like a sponge because it's what a great resource. So, yeah. Uh, uh, Oh, shucks. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Starting this, and this ending podcast is awesome. Really intense, kind <laughs> words that make Sam and me uncomfortable, but you can't see my face. James, thank you so. This has been a real joy and a treat. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for the well, full yes. hour talking. I feel like we yeah. could go on, but I honestly it's just been yes. a joy. Lastly, where should our listeners go um, for the folks? Who, where would you like to send them? Because there's many places they could go. Um, My front porch. Uh, oh, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, JamesArnoldTaylor.com. And then, you know, Instagram. I'm not really on Twitter anymore. I have a Twitter account, but I, I'm not really on it much anymore. My YouTube channel is James Arnold Taylor. Uh, but JamesArnoldTaylor.com has links to everything. And uh, I, I'm coming back. Once the studio's built, I'm going to come back and do my podcast regularly and, and do more stuff and engage people more. But yeah. Awesome.